Thank you, Tom. And it's good to see all of you again. Uh, my name is Jake. Um, I've been with you before. You probably recognize me. And to everyone at the, on the World Wide Web out there, um, they don't really say World Wide Web anymore, do they? <laughs> Shows you I'm not really a tech guy. Anyway, welcome. Welcome, live feed folks. Okay. We're going to jump into uh, Matthew uh, chapter 22. It's going to be our gospel reading today. Matthew chapter 22. So hear God's word to you this morning. Gospel of God according to St. Matthew. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? The son of David. They replied. He said to them, How is it then that David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how can he be his son? No one could say a word in reply. And from that day on, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is God's word. I love the stories of the Catholic saints. And I know that's a strange thing, a very odd thing to say on Reformation. Sunday may be borderline heretical, but I think I'm justified in some sense because the Lutheran tradition at its core has been an ecumenical movement of the gospel. It's been, Luther always saw this movement as a continuation of the fathers and the true gospel in the scriptures. The true gospel, the good news of God's grace. And one of the first churches in Germany, uh, one of the first Lutheran churches in Germany was a Catholic parish, of course, before it was Lutheran. It was, it was called St. Mary's. And it retained that name. It kept that name after it became a Lutheran parish, uh, which I just think is wonderfully ironic and beautiful, in a sense. Not venerating Mary in the way that uh, a Roman Catholic would, but lifting her up and honoring her as one of our sisters in the faith, um, the mother of God. There's a story often told of St. Teresa of Lisieux, the a French nun um, who became a saint in uh, the Catholic Church. And she was often called the little flower of Jesus or just sometimes simply the little flower. She joined the Carmelite order, the convent at Lisieux in Normandy in France uh, when she was only 15 years old. And she was there for nine years until her, her death. She died very young at, at the age of 24 of tuberculosis. The sisters caring for her at the end of her life said that before she took her last breath, that she looked up to heaven and her eyes got wide and she said, oh, I love you. I love you. And the head of the convent wrote to her family in 1897. She wrote this. Teresa gave up her last sigh at seven o'clock while pressing her crucifix to her heart, saying, oh, I love you. 
and she had just raised her eyes to heaven. What was she seeing? What was she seeing? Now, Teresa was known in the convent for intentionally spending a lot of time with the, with the nuns among them who were generally viewed as the most disliked and annoying. But she spent time with the, the people that the other nuns didn't like to be around. She ate with them, she prayed with them, she lived with them, spent most of her time with them. One of those nuns was named Martha. And Martha had a very difficult childhood. She was described by others as being very emotionally unbalanced with a very violent temper. And she was one of Teresa's students in the convent. And she said this about her teacher. She said, Teresa deliberately sought out the company of the nuns whose temperament she found hardest to bear. What merit was there in acting charitably toward people whom one loved naturally? Teresa went out of her way to spend time with and therefore to love the people she found repellent. Those she found repellent. And this reality was best conveyed, I think, by another of these nuns who Teresa spent time with, who said about Teresa at her funeral, I made her so happy. I made her so happy. What kind of love gets into your heart and pours out to others that it makes them change the way they think about themselves? and how they're impacting the world. This is how God's love gets inside, starts to do some work on our hearts, and then flows out to the people around us. The people we might not normally select to be in a family with or a church with. Teresa knew and tasted God's love. For the real Teresa, she tasted it. And I don't know what that looked like for her in particular in a religious order. Probably a lot of prayer and discipline and that sort of thing. But we do know some of what the impact was of those around her. They begin to see themselves differently. The love came in and flowed out to those around her. See, that's the impact of God's love. So my, my two points today are this. God loves us to guide us inward more deeply and to send us outward more deliberately. God loves us to guide us inward and to send us outward. So first, God loves us to guide us inward. I want to look at verse 37, which is going to be really the core of what I'm talking about here. 37 reads like this. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. There's just a few overall comments about this passage. This is taken right out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, of course. But with the exception of one word, if you go back to Deuteronomy and look, you'll notice that Matthew has made a little change. He's changed strength, which you'll find in Deuteronomy, to mind. Love the, whole, love the Lord your God with all of your mind rather than your strength. Now, there are various debates on why that is and what's going on here. Some scholars will say, well, in the Septuagint, which is the, the Greek Old Testament, uh, translated in Greek, Um, it has both strength and mind at the end. Uh, But others will say, maybe something else is going on here, which is that, you know, the Greeks saw the world differently and they saw the, the makeup of the human being differently. For the Hebrews, the mind and the soul were one. For the Greeks, the mind and the soul were separate. So is it perhaps that Matthew is using a, a culturally... Um, articulated language to touch these Greek-speaking folks in a unique way to show them how God and 
how God affects the whole person and how we are to love God from our whole hearts, right? So that's just a little piece of background there. The other thing when Jesus says, you know, these are the two commandments on which everything hangs, to love God and to love people, you can see those two commandments as sort of the, the two hinges of the door that is the Old Testament law and prophets. They hold up the law, right? The law is about love, loving God and loving people. They support the whole law, every precept, every teaching. It is love that holds up the law. So any approach to the law, Jesus says, any approach to the law without love, any approach to the Christian life without love, results in stern, bitter judgmentalism at times. It turns into sort of this stark exclusivity. It can be viewed as like this smugness of how right we are and how wrong the world is. But approach this life with love, held up by love, and you get life. You get life. The door opens. Right? Everything on which the teaching's based. Any attempt to walk in the law of the Hebrew scriptures without a recognition that all of it depends on the self-sacrificial love of God for your broken heart and the broken hearts around you. Without that, everything else falls apart. It's like cutting the root off, cutting the tree down at the root. Right. Now, I, uh, somehow I'm a, a homeowner at this point. I don't know how that happened. But I do have, I, I, I have a home, and so I have to maintain it, right? And so Greta will, my wife Greta will tell me to buy certain things and install them or fix things, which I'm not very good at. So I have to, like, buy a light fixture or a ceiling fan and hook it up. And I get it, and I open it up, and I look through the manual, and it has all of these warnings about how you can die doing this, <laughs> right? Like, there's warnings about how you can get electrocuted. And there's even a little drawing of a man being electrocuted and dying with a big X over it, saying this should really be installed by a professional. And I'm, I'd want to quit immediately. I want to quit. But if you think of looking, looking at, the, at the Christian life in the starkest way, like a manual, how, how broken that kind of way of looking at, at Scripture is. It's, it's like the difference between reading a manual from Home Depot and reading the love sonnets of Shakespeare. You know? Reading Scripture and entering the Christian life on the basis of God's love for you, God's pure love for you, and your love for others, that changes everything. You know, Psalm 119 says this, this word of God's mouth is sweeter than honey. That's not the language of a ceiling fan, instruction manual. Is it? No, this is, this is love language. This is the language, the words of your lover, the lover of your soul. Now, what does this all have to do with God guiding us inward? What does it have to do with that? Well, Stanley Hauerwas, one of my favorite theologians at Duke University, he says this about this passage. He says, the challenge that Jesus presents is to learn that one is loved by God so that one is thus able to love God and love others. Such a love requires a lifetime of training in which we are given the opportunity to have our self-centeredness discovered and overwhelmed. 
God's love can get in there and discover our self-centeredness and overwhelm it. That we cannot begin to love God with all of our heart unless we're willing to actually see what's in that heart. Unless we're actually willing to open it up to God for his care and for his love, for his guidance. We cannot begin to love God with all, all of our soul if we refuse to acknowledge the ways that our souls have been harmed. We cannot love God with all of our mind if we avoid recognizing the patterns of thought that condemn ourselves and condemn others, which is where our minds sometimes so easily go, right? See, God's love is like a light, and you flip that on in your heart, and the cockroaches of sin go running, right? Because light, God's love, it reveals. God loves, God's love opens up. It brings in light into the darkness. And sometimes we don't want to look and see what's there in that brokenness. But when we follow God's love into our own hearts, we see that God has already been there. We see that God is actually making a home there. So the, the cockroaches of sin go flying and God is already there. In our darkness, in our brokenness, in our sin, he's not afraid of any of it. He's not afraid of our fear or our failure or our brokenness. He's there. You follow God into your own heart so you can love him better and love others. And you start to love what he loves. And one of those things is you. You start to love yourself a little better. Because you start to realize that your heart is the home that you share with him. Maybe it's a rundown a little bit. Maybe it's a rundown heart. Right? But he's in there reconstructing, rebuilding, revitalizing, resurrecting. This is the heart of God for us, living in us. When you, when you follow God into your own heart, that's scary. That gets scary when you flip the light on. You know, we tend to try to avoid that. <laughs> I know I do. I don't want to see what's in there all the time, in our soul, in our mind. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable, and it almost feels dreadful, the love of God, sometimes, because he's revealing stuff. He wants to heal it, but he's going to bring it out into the open first. And when you feel your love for him sort of grinding against the grain of your sin, then you know it's working, and you know God's doing stuff. But it's not always pleasant. But it can be incredibly sweet. It can be incredibly refreshing. God guides us more deeply inward toward our real selves to get love in there where it's needed. And then he sends us outward. You know, on Friday, I had the opportunity to interview one of the physicians who was applying for a palliative care fellowship at, at Freighter. I don't usually get to interview physicians on my own because I don't know anything about medicine. So I wouldn't really be qualified would I, to, to recommend a hiring of a physician, right? But I got, to, I got to interview this man. Usually they, usually they have a nurse practitioner with me. They know that if I'm usually on my own interviewing, I'll just ask them a lot of uh, emotional and spiritual questions, which physicians don't always like. But anyway, we had a great conversation, me and this candidate. And he said something that was striking to me. You know, he said that the most important, one of the most important aspects of his work, if not the most important aspect, is the quality of presence that he brings to patients. The demeanor that he brings into a room. 
the tone of his voice, the way that he gets down and looks into their eyes at their own level, in their vulnerability. And he spoke about that, and I was struck, and I wanted to hire him on the spot as a chaplain. Right? <laughs> but I don't have hiring capabilities, and he's not a chaplain. He's a physician. But I would have. And I asked him, how do you keep your heart open in the midst of all that? How do you keep your heart open to patience in the midst of all the pain? And he thought about it a little bit and he just said, I know what it's like to feel lonely. I know what it's like to feel scared. So this is a young man who had gone inside himself and he met his pain there. And he started to acknowledge his wounds. And he started to open up those wounds. And actually, those wounds became a resource for loving others. That he can actually connect with patients in a richer way because he knows what his own wounds are. All of the good and all of the bad and all of the ugly in his heart used as a resource to love others in their most vulnerable moments. So think about how this God sees you. Not how you imagine God to be, but how this God really is. And the actual person of Jesus Christ, who, the one who chooses you in spite of you, the one who chooses me in spite of me, the one whose love for us is not fleeting by a feeling like ours usually is, but a love that is consistent forever by a choice, that, he will, that God is unwilling to be God without us, that he has chosen in his son to bound himself to us forever, to be our God, no matter what, in any darkness, an irrevocable decision to be God with us, to be God with sinners, to be God with the broken. And that choice, that love, he lived it out. He didn't just imagine it, this God didn't just dream it, he lived it out on a cross boldly. Now, great Russian novelist Dostoevsky said that love in practice is a harsh and terrible thing compared to love in dreams. He didn't, just, he didn't just dream up his love for us. He acted it out. And it cost him his life, and it was worth it. It was worth it to him. See, that's a love that moves. Now maybe we, we can begin to use God's love this way and look at ourselves and begin to think of ourselves a little differently. Now, studies, studies have shown that the more compassionate you are for others, the less likely, less likely you are of burning out in your work. The more compassion, the less likely. And the reverse is also true. The less compassionate you are, the more likely you are to burn out. So could we use, could we, could we use this love to just turn it on ourselves and look at ourselves as God sees us? Right? And may that be the fuel for loving others. So God guides us. God loves us to guide us inward. But he also sends us deliberately outward. He doesn't just keep us inside. He sends us outward to love others. So we're looking at verse 39 just for a moment. Jesus says this, The second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Now this is a command, right? But it's also an invitation. It's law and it's gospel at the same time. You think about that point where Jesus says in the gospels, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's a command, right? Because it's coming from our master. 
It's a command saying, come to me, but it's also an invitation. It's good news because we're going to find life in him. And when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, he's inviting us to belong to a community. He's inviting us to belong to a people, to a church that is going to love us in our unique needs and challenge us when we need it and facilitate the work of the Spirit in our lives. And when we step out and we begin to love others like this, we sort of create a mini outpost of God's kingdom where the white flags of the white flags of surrender to God's love are all around us. And we might find ourselves among those people we might normally pick, right? Like Teresa. <laughs> you know? Maybe the people we defined ourselves against. But they're in our family now. That's the church. That's the community that changes you. And that's where... God's love in you begins to bloom in unique and very particular ways according to whatever community you're a part of. God isn't just simply instructing us to love in some general way. He's inviting us to belong in a particular way to a community. And you'll begin to see that the needs in those community, the needs in that community begin to define how you love that community. Right? The needs arise, and they call your response, no matter what community you're a part of. And sometimes those needs are very surprising. And sometimes you're loving people in ways you never thought you would as a Christian. And your life of discipleship looks different than you ever imagined it would, because the needs of the community are different. You know, I remember when I lived in, in Portland, Oregon, years, years ago with Greta, uh, we were invited by a friend from church to help a friend of hers clean out her apartment before she moved. And so we thought, okay, that's fine. A couple hours on the weekend, that would be great. And we got there, and we opened the door, and it was literally like walking into an episode of Hoarders. And there was stuff everywhere. And there was garbage and clothes and books and newspapers, stuff piled almost as high as the ceiling. Now, if I was to determine what my loving action was going to be that weekend, I wouldn't have picked this one, right? That's not something I would have said, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus this way. I'm going to clean out a really messed up apartment. But no, that was the need that rose up out of my community. And then we respond in love because we have that love from God. Sometimes those needs look very different. And I don't know what that looks like in your life or in your work or in your family or in this church in particular. But I do know that to, to make a service work, you know, there, there are a lot of people behind the scenes doing stuff. They maybe didn't think they would. Serving Jesus by vacuuming a carpet, right? Or by learning a new sound system. Or by printing out a bulletin. Or by thinking through the ways that, that you're going to worship safely during a pandemic. Right? All of these unique needs rise up in our community. And we respond in love. And Jesus says, that's how you love your neighbor. You respond in that moment to whatever those needs are. The discipleship is a lifelong clinic in the craft of loving a God we cannot see. 
and trusting a God we cannot see. In the midst of people, maybe we wouldn't choose. That's what church is. Our loving creates that kind of community. The community calls out acts of service from us. I think the key to to verse 37, 38, and 39, which has been my core here, the key is really the little word, your. Love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart. Love the Lord, your God, with all of your soul and with all of your mind. See, this God has comprehensively given himself to you and to me through his son, Jesus Christ, totally and completely. He acted first. He loved first. You know, the presumption is really clear in these passages. It's Jesus, it's God through Jesus Christ that loves us first, always, even when we didn't know we needed it, even when we didn't know we needed rescue. It was always him acting first, and our love toward him is a grateful response. That's the freedom of the Christian life. That's the core of the Reformation. You know, when Luther said, faith is an open hand, we bring our emptiness to a God who fills us with his love, fills us with his presence, makes his home in us. You know. See, this is a gratitude and a love that moves, it acts, it responds to God's love, it pours out, it gets inside and then it pours out to others around us. We're giving back the love he gave to us, to him. He guides us inward. He guides us inward and he sends us outward. And that is good news, I think. So let's pray together. Oh, gracious God, we, oh, Lord, we thank you for your presence here in this place. We thank you for your goodness. They rescued us when we didn't even know it. That you love us to get inside of us and to pour out your love, and then to send us outward to love others as you love them. God, I just pray that no matter what we bring into this place today, the pain or the brokenness or the regret, whatever it might be, Lord, that, that you take that and you make it a part of our love for you, that we just open up all of our heart, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we give it to you with our praise, all of our mind, all of our soul, and we give it to you with our praise. And then we share it with our brothers. Continue to nourish us with your gospel and with your body broken and your bloodshed. And thank you for making us a family. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.